0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Polette and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland.
1: I remember all my life raining down as cold as ice.
0: Oh, Mandy. <laughs> uh, an AM radio classic.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk today about who invented the radio. And you would think that this would have a very easy answer and that we could give it and then you could be on your merry little way. Not so fast.
0: Yes, as a matter of fact, I was I was reading a book not too long ago that made me think about uh, topics like this. But, and, and Jonathan and I have talked about this with regard to TV. Yeah. Because uh, there were two people who were working on how to uh, create an electrical television like rather than, than a mechanical, mechanical TV. TV.
1: Yeah, because me- mechanical TVs had been around for a while, but no one had come up with uh, an easily uh, manufactured electric version.
0: Right. But in that case, we were really talking about primarily two people, yeah. and we're sort of talking about two people here, give or take another 12 or 15.
1: Right, yeah, there's two people that ultimately the question tends to boil down to, but that's even that is too simplistic a, a look at radio. So to really get a get a handle on how complex this topic is, you actually have to go back more than five decades before radio came into being.
0: That's true, and, and again, like a lot of scientific discovery... Uh, each new iteration is an improvement on uh, another technology or uses an, uh, a technology that has recently been discovered in a new way. So yes. we're really, this is another one of those standing on the shoulders of giants exactly. situations.
1: Very, very apt. Yeah, this this is all taking place, uh, well, the earliest parts are taking place in the early 19th century, but most of it's taking place within a two-decade period at the end of the 19th century, some of it spilling over into the early 20th century. And you're talking about an era in which you have an enormous intellectual revolution, right? You've got people who are wicked smart, <laughs> right? These are guys and, and gals as well. I mean, we're in an age where there was, science was reigning supreme. Science Scientists were the rock stars of this era. They really kind of were. Yeah. I mean, you had scientists who could command the attention of thousands at uh, at a, a speech. It was really hard to imagine now, because, you know, you don't really think of, like, the guy from the LHC getting up and people doing the wave. But back then, these guys were the, the people who were shaping the Earth. So it's really a fascinating time, and there were so many developments, and so many people were working on this sort of technology at the same time. There's no surprise that there's controversy. Because you got a lot of people all trying to figure out how to have a a useful application of a newly discovered law or or feature of the universe, right? Right. So clearly you're going to have some overlap. So let's start from before we're even talking about radio. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about in 1837, there's a guy named Samuel Morse. Right. And Samuel Morse, of course, is... Famous for inventing the telegraph as well as Morse code, which was the the series of uh, bleeps and buzzes that uh, that would allow you to transmit uh, information to communicate over wires over a long distance.
0: Right. The the telegraph really changed the way the world communicated um, significantly. It's, right. It's one of those those technologies that we like to say makes the world smaller because. Yes it it significantly reduced the amount of time that that news traveled the world we heard about things far more quickly than we used to in the past people were able to communicate with one another across great distances of right. course you had to have a cable in order to make that happen
1: yeah and that was the that was the big barrier right i mean the cable was definitely a lot more efficient than say the pony express or carrying a message across the ocean on a on a ship but you still had to have a cable. You had to have a physical connection between two stations in order to transmit information. And unfortunately, that would mean that certain remote areas could not easily get a station. Uh, It also meant that you had a a physical object that could withstand uh, only so much uh, punishment before it it failed. So you had a cable that could be broken or there could be uh, some sort of, of interference there. That... That meant that it was, uh, while it was a huge leap in communication from what came previously, there had to be a better way.
0: That's right. Well, once it became apparent to companies that the telegraph could make them lots and lots of money, yeah, uh, people wanted to find better ways to use the telegraph and better telegraph technology.
1: Right, because you got to remember that first telegraph wire. All it could do is transmit these these sounds. You couldn't, there was no way to convert human voice into uh, uh, electricity and transmit it across a wire yet. No one had figured that part out back in 1837. And also, you could only transmit information one way at a time. You couldn't have two-way communication simultaneously.
0: The, and, and that's one of the things that a lot of inventors were out to to do in the in the nineteenth uh, century, they were earnestly looking for ways to improve, to to make uh, make it possible to send telegraph messages in, in two ways, to uh, improve the quality of the technology. Yeah, um,
1: without necessarily just laying a pair of cables and having one be one way and the other being the other way. Yes, I and mean, you can do that, but you've just doubled your costs.
0: Exactly, the creating the infrastructure for this system is is costly. Uh, as we all know, for we're talking about things like, uh, you know, replacing twisted wire telephone lines with fiber optics.
1: Yeah, or um, even replacing uh, 2G cellular technology with 3G or 4G technology. That's right. And even then, you're talking about major changes to infrastructure. It's not as simple as, oh, well, we just need to throw in a a software patch and everything will be cool. It's not as simple as that.
0: And some of you may remember um, us talking in the past about the uh, Internet cables that run across the ocean. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, something will clip one of them and will knock out communication uh, temporarily as traffic gets rerouted through the other lines. Uh, But, you know, it's having those giant wires um, running across the ocean is sort of impractical. It's not only costly, it's it's impractical. So, uh, I mean, it works. But uh, you know you have to worry about maintenance and and uh, the possibility that something will cut one of the cables or that it will just age and snap. Sure. So um, so people were looking into this, but and investors were were willing to back that because they saw the the possibility that they might make lots and lots of money if uh if the inventors were able to capitalize on that. But some of them inadvertently started discovering. Uh other technologies, and a lot of those advancements came out it turned out to be uh laying the the groundwork for radio
1: yeah, and some of some scientists were working independently of the whole communications uh, uh, aspect entirely, and they were just interested in learning more about the way our universe works. Uh, one of those guys was a mathematician named James Clerk Maxwell. And 30, 30 years after the invention of the telegraph, so in 1867, he started to think about light in a way that no one else had thought of up to that point. And he was thinking of light as an electromagnetic phenomenon. Okay. So he's looking at light and electric waves and magnetic waves, and he th- he thinks these things are connected. These are not discrete uh, uh, Phenomena; These are all somehow part of a, of a spectrum of phenomena. So this was revolutionary. Now, unfortunately, Maxwell was unable to prove his theory during his lifetime. Now, we know today that this is true, that, that the light that we see, that's part of the electromagnetic spectrum. We, only can, we can only perceive a very narrow band of that electromagnetic spectrum with our eyes. Now, other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum can affect us, sometimes in really nasty ways, but uh, but we can only see a, a pretty narrow band of it. Uh, so Maxwell was really ahead of his time, and his, his theories were part of what laid the scientific groundwork for radio. So you had the technological groundwork, and you had the scientific groundwork, and these things are converging at a really rapid rate, and we see that come to a head in the 1880s, really.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, somebody you might have heard of, um, Heinrich Hertz. Ah, yes. Um, he was the first person to measure act, to actually measure the speed of uh, radio yes. waves, um, and he basically uh, he, at the time he was a professor at a German high school. Um, and what he was doing, he, he used a couple of parabolic mirrors and a, a spark gap. Mm-hmm. um, you may have seen spark gap in those old timey monster movies the two pieces of metal that are are sort of together at one end and they they diverge slightly and they're the spark travels up the the sh- from the short distance to the long distance and it looks kind of spooky
1: yeah it's 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 a it's stock for your average uh crazy scientist laboratory so so part- I have three
0: <laughs> doesn't surprise me yeah don't, so don't put your hand in there yeah. So uh so mister Hertz basically proved what uh what Maxwell was suggesting. He he was able to transmit a spark um from one antenna with a, a spark gap and a ring um to another. And uh basically this was kind of fascinating because at the time there was nothing. I mean, there was no obvious connection. So you would look at it and go, "Wait a minute, that spark has traveled."
1: Right. Yeah. You so, had a you had one thing generating a spark, right? Right. And then you had an ant- antenna on the other side of the room that could pick up. Uh, it, it, you know, you you got a a difference in voltage there, and the there was no visible means of transmission. How did the energy from this one thing on one side of the room transmit to the other side?
0: Right. They not only did he he show that that Maxwell's right, uh, and he was able to measure the speed, um, of the uh of the waves and and showed that it the waves traveled in straight lines and they could be reflected, and and the reflection is important because we use the Earth's atmosphere yes to reflect radio signals now. Yep. Yep. Um, But, you know, at the time, this was absolutely groundbreaking.
1: Exactly. And he discovered that that speed that Chris was talking about, in case you're curious, was uh, uh, 186,000 miles per second. If that sounds familiar to you, it may be because that is the speed of light. And that's kind of where we're talking about how Hertz helped prove uh, Maxwell's theories because here was this other form of energy that was not visible light, but it traveled at the same speed as visible light travel. Mm-hmm. So that suggests that the two are in some way related.
0: That That's true. Um, the thing is, though, we're not talking long distance with these transmissions. No, we're talking about a room. We're talking about within a room. Uh, but people began to experiment with this. Uh, mm-hmm. One of whom uh, was Oliver Lodge, Yep. Uh, a British scientist. Um, he was able to get reception... Uh, at about 70 yards with his most sensitive equipment. Um, others were able to get them, get radio waves a little farther, a little shorter. Uh, some people were were absolutely stunned that radio waves could travel through buildings. Yeah. This was another one of those things that we sort of take for granted today because we're used to it, but uh, you couldn't see it, so it, it, it was sort of uh, sort of weird. And I mean, this, this
1: was counterintuitive to that whole electromagnetic theory, right? Because light, we know, if you have an opaque structure... That's it's right. going to block light. You That's don't right. see light shining through the walls. If you did, you'd go crazy. Uh, you'd never sleep. Well, it depends on how porous the walls are. <laughs> I guess it does. You know, I've lived in some places, let me tell you. Anyway, <laughs> but in a solid opaque structure, it's going to block light. So the theory would be well, if, if light and uh, this other form of electromagnetic energy are, are related, then clearly this opaque thing's going to block that too. Not so much. Nope, and it was very confusing early on.
0: It's true. And, um, and, I was trying to figure out who who we should talk about next.
1: Well, there there are a lot of there are a lot of players in here. There's there's Popov who uh, he he had laboratory demonstrations of radio uh, that he that he did back in 1895. So Lodge, his work was in 1894, right? right? Mm-hmm. So just a year later, you've got Popov doing uh, experiments and he, in the in the lab in, in 1895 and he's also um, working with various uh, uh, methods to transmit radio waves and you have to again you got to have a transmitter and a receiver mm-hmm. I and mean, those are your basic elements of a radio and early radios were either one or the other. Uh, it was a while before people could develop a, a radio that could both transmit and receive like to allow for two-way communication. Transceiver. Earliest, yes, a transceiver. Those early experiments were really just figuring out the whole uh, the the mode of transmission and reception. And in fact, earliest radio signals were not tuned to a specific frequency like they are today. Like today, you tune into a radio station. Those earliest ones were kind of more like a shotgun approach. Uh, you know, that you would get a range of frequencies. So, uh, there wasn't a big problem early, early on because you had so few people working on this. There wasn't a lot of, um, uh, contamination and interference, but if we were to be using those same methods today, you wouldn't be able to tune into more than a couple of stations because they'd be taking up a really broad range of the spectrum. Right. So the earliest days of radio, it was free for all. You could broadcast on whatever part of the free the spectrum you wanted, uh, because there were so few people out there, there was nothing to compete with.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah, and it, it's uh, there one of the people that that I read about sort of as a red herring. Yeah. Uh, was a guy named William Crooks who, uh, some say, some believe for a while that he may have had a hand in creating, uh wireless telegraphy basically uh using radio as a telegraph um because in february 1892 he he published an article in the fortnightly review and in that article he he used the word telegraphy he said senteny, that's a fancy word and i would say probably an obsolete word for the ability to tune he said certainly archaic yeah definitely uh because i haven't heard it before i started doing any <laughs> research on this syntony. oh that's kind of a cool word uh but yeah he he said oh yes there will be uh you'll be able to use this wireless telegraph and you'll be able to tune it to a specific frequency and get uh get messages but the problem was he um he had a lot of uh scientifically incorrect information in that article right now some people said oh well look he's inspired a lot of people to do this but there aren't a lot of people who credit him with inspiring them to work on radio technology and most of, uh, mo- It seems like the article sort of came to light years later, after right. radio was becoming a thing. Um, some actually suggested that maybe he was trying to take credit for it after the fact. Uh, uh, but, so he was retconning. But it 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 seems like I, I would guess that there are people, <laughs> there are people who are, uh, like like crook crooks who had an idea. That's a kind of an ironic name. Yeah. Um. Who at least had a a grip to some degree on what you could do with the technology. They had a piece of it but not the whole picture. Yeah, another
1: guy who appeared to have the whole picture but was a little too reluctant to share his his uh, technology. This guy this guy, could have been the inventor of radio.
0: Right, so people right? give him credit for it.
1: There, this guy, because he was able to demonstrate radio very early on uh, comparatively speaking. So in 1892... You have an inventor by the name of Nathan Nathan Stubblefield, right from Murray, Kentucky. He was a farmer and inventor. Mm-hmm. So clearly, if you are farming, you are going to think, "I want to invent me a radio." <laughs> uh, I am I am amazed. I mean, to me, it's just, it, it's really it shows that ingenuity is is a phenomenal thing, and it it can strike anywhere, right? Sure. So you have Stubblefield, who was legitimately a really smart and clever guy. Uh, and so in 1892, he publicly demonstrates a wireless communication system. And not only does it broadcast radio signals, he could actually broadcast voice and music. Now keep in mind, the earliest radio, uh, public demonstrations were all tones. It wasn't, it wasn't like you could do a symphony over the radio. It was, you could, you could transmit Morse code over the radio. So, here you have Stubblefield in eighteen ninety two demonstrating this, and uh he was able to do it again in eighteen ninety eight which this one was actually documented eighteen ninety two is is undocumented, so it you know it could be up for debate but in eighteen ninety eight the St Louis dispatch documented a demonstration he did where he transmitted radio waves uh, at a distance of around five hundred yards uh this This was a big problem with a lot of the early Radio broadcasters—they—they they didn't have a lot of range to their broadcasts. Right, 500 yards is not that far.
0: Um, right. So you'd—you'd you'd have your uh, DJ coming on and say, "I have a short distance dedication." Right.
1: Yeah. This guy over here dedicates it to that gal over there. You can see each other. Why don't you wave? <laughs> um, so the—but he—he demonstrates it, and he could have potentially been the father of the radio. But here's the problem. Stubblefield was a little paranoid. He was worried that people were going to steal his invention, so worried that he would hide it away in a shack and lock it up. and then he got an offer to sell his invention, and uh it was five hundred thousand dollars for his invention. Um, this was around uh oh in the late 1800s, early nineteen hundreds, five hundred thousand dollars that's a lot of clams it is it's a lot of clams today and it was even more clams it was like an entire bed of clams back back then and so stubblefield turned it down and what's interesting to me is we actually see this mirrored in uh the way some companies behave today i was talking to chris about this earlier there's another company that recently was offered uh, about $6 billion uh, to be an acquisition of of another larger company. Um, But they turned it down, this company turned down that $6 billion offer, and valued itself at $25 billion. But as a result of waiting around too long, one could argue, the value of the company has dropped significantly since then. And Chris, what's the name of that company?
0: Groupon.
1: Groupon. So here, Groupon took the internet by storm. Everyone was really impressed by Groupon. Everyone thought that this was really where where things were moving. Well, that's kind of the problem because things were moving in that direction, but there was no way to protect Groupon's business model. And so lots of other companies sprang up that uh, mimic Groupon's business model, some of which you might even argue improve on Groupon's business model. Well, because Groupon was kind of holding back, now its position is a little more tenuous because you have all these competitors that could steal the limelight away from Groupon. The same thing happened more than 100 years ago with Stubblefield. This is a story that goes back decades and decades. You know, you'd know, think we'd learn our lesson by now. You, know, you strike while the iron is hot, people. So Stubblefield, because he sat on his invention and because he did not act upon it, uh, he was scooped by other inventors, and there's a pair of people who we need to talk about. One of whom was ultimately scooped by the other one, and the other one used the technology of the
0: first. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Um, yeah, and and as a as a tragic uh, conclusion to Stubblefield's story, yes, he uh, he died a pauper, of starvation. Wow. So, so he turned the money down. Um, And I guess his farm
1: didn't survive either. Apparently, because I mean, starvation and a farmer. Wow. But it was Kentucky, so maybe he was just growing, you know, bourbon. Grows (laughs) on trees, right? (laughs) I don't know.
0: Oh, I don't
1: drink, so I have no knowledge of that. Shall we move on? Sure, and talk about those two fellows you mentioned. So here are the two people that most discussions about who invented the radio. Ultimately, it boils down to these two guys, even though, we've, as we've argued, there are a lot of other people you have to consider in this equation. And that is Nikola Tesla, and I'm just going to say G. Marconi, because I can't pronounce his first name. All right, then. It's Italian, and I am not.
0: So Marconi is often given the credit for inventing... The radio.
1: In fact, he has the official credit, at least by the uh, in the eyes of the United States government, for inventing the radio. Yes,
0: other other people give credit to other people, but you know that that's the way it, it goes with these things. Um, so Marconi was legitimately working on
1: uh, radio. It, it's not like Marconi was just some guy who swept in and stole everything. He was actually working hard on trying to find a way to make long-distance radio transmission a reality. He was having some trouble, though. A lot of his uh, um, his transmissions were going to a, a maximum distance of about 1.5 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And that's just not far enough for, I mean, for real broadcast power. So, uh, in fact, I, I think I read somewhere where one one uh uh critic said that his his broadcast wouldn't reach across a pond which makes me wonder if that's where we got that you know when you go across the pond right but it, i i i honestly don't know I don't know, I don't know but it does make me wonder if that's where we got that phrase because ultimately marconi was able to send a signal from europe to america
0: yeah um that's a qu- that would be a question for Away with Words.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is this the phrase across the pond date back to Marconi's invention or you know, credited invention of the radio?
0: But Marconi used a lot of technology developed uh, by someone else. Developed by Nikola Tesla. Yes.
1: Um, so much so that Nikola Tesla probably not entirely jokingly said that Marconi was using. He wished Marconi well. The man's using seventeen
0: of my patents well and that may be true yes uh, it may uh, be true I didn't I didn't look into it that far uh, but the thing and and that was the case for a lot of things um, in the in the creation of alternating current uh, Westinghouse um, George Westinghouse was using a lot of Tesla's patents too right um, and in using the technology that Tesla patented um, assuming you know that that Tesla is getting credit for it then Tesla would earn some, you know, with a license, a properly licensed patent, then Tesla should be earning some residuals on Marconi's invention.
1: Yeah, here's the problem.
0: Marconi- well, th- There's a problem?
1: Marconi didn't admit readily that he was using any of Tesla's stuff. Oh. Like, what What Tesla had managed to do was he was able, through the, actually, really Tesla coils is what we're getting down to, he was able to invent a way of, of uh, creating really powerful uh, bursts of energy of electricity.
0: Right, you remember the the Hertz and mm-hmm. using the uh, transmitting the electrical energy from one place to another. Right. So the Tesla coil is far more powerful.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a refined, powerful invention that's based upon that principle, and through using this as part of a radio transmission system, Marconi was able to transmit signals much further than he could on his old system. But uh, and according to some of the reports I've read, and there's a lot of – I mean, there are Tesla supporters out there who who rake Marconi over the coals. And then there are other uh, people who either dismiss Tesla's uh, involvement or they downplay it. Um, there's some people who are true Marconi supporters. The whole thing is really muddy, right? Yes. But from what I gather, Marconi tried to argue – he he patented the radio in the U.K., Tesla did it in the United States. Now, Marconi argued that, you know, hey, I was able to make this thing work and no one else was. So I I deserve the patent for this this technology. Um, And even argued so far as to say, hey, what Tesla coil? In which case, a judge was saying, oh, come on. That's a that's a common word here because like we said these guys were rock stars. It's not like this stuff was obscure. This stuff was front page news. Yes. So people knew these terms. They didn't necessarily understand them all, but they knew what they knew of them. And so for someone to feign ignorance seemed disingenuous at best. So Marconi is arguing that he should be the one uh that people back and Tesla isn't arguing as much because Tesla didn't feel that he needed to argue he felt he was in the right he didn't why should i come forward and and fight tooth and nail with this guy when it's so obvious that i'm the person that credit should go to that was kind of tesla's viewpoint as far as we can tell you got to also remember tesla became increasingly mentally unstable toward the end of his life he became more and more paranoid possibly with good reason because of the way he had been treated in his past um uh, and so it's hard to kind of definitively say what the man was thinking. Uh, also, he had had this rivalry with Edison. Yes. Right? Well-publicized. Yes. It dated back to the World's Fair where it was between Edison and Tesla. Who's going? Whose system is going to power the World's Fair in Chicago? Is it going to be Edison's direct current power or is it going to be Tesla's alternating current? Ultimately, it went to Tesla. Edison – not a man who drops a grudge easily. No. As it turns out. No. And so Edison's looking around and he's saying, you know, this is gonna be a big thing. This is gonna make buckoos of cash. I gotta get in on this. Andrew Carnegie, great philanthropist, industrialist, he also says this is where it's at. This is the next huge development in technology. I'm getting in on this. They look around, you've got Tesla, who is brilliant, but is also self-destructive. Not necessarily intentionally, but his behavior and his uh, obsession with transmitting power over a long-distance broadcasting power, building essentially what it would amount to an enormous Tesla coil and cloaking the, the Earth in electricity, sounds a little like a mad scientist. Not necessarily the guy you're going to go and dump heaps of cash on top of. So then... They look at Marconi, Marconi, who has proven that his technology works, his technology, which admittedly rests on the shoulders of others like Tesla. He Marconi even demonstrates that he can send a signal transatlantically across the entire ocean. He transmits the letter S in Morse code, and that proves that his system works with a proven system with a man who does not appear to be unhinged. That's the guy that everyone gives their money to. So Marconi starts to get the political and the financial support. And Marconi ends up coming over to America and even wins a patent for a radio. The patent that was previously not the same one, but the patent that had been Tesla's became overturned in in court. And this is where the huge controversy is. People say that essentially that Edison, Carnegie... And even Marconi, who came from a family that was really well-connected and really wealthy in Europe, that they used their political and financial clout to force the patent office, essentially the court system of the United States, to overturn Tesla's patents so that Marconi could be the, the true patent holder for the inventor of radio. Meanwhile, Tesla's screaming to the heavens and shaking his tiny fists in vain.
0: No. And also
1: watching his lab burn down for the fourth or fifth time. Yeah. That happened. Tesla had a run of incredibly bad luck. We did do an episode on Tesla. I recommend you listen to that if you really want to hear the story of his life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The loss of Wardenclyffe. Oh, yeah. That that was... was I think probably would have affected his uh, ability yeah. to defend his... So... Yeah. Radio. So now
1: you've got uh, – so if you're asking officially who invented the radio, well, if you go and buy the documents in the United States government, it's Marconi. Right. But if you're going to ask an inventor, then you might hear a different answer. And it may not be Tesla. The inventor may say, well, yeah, Tesla was able to create the technology that made broadcast radio uh, a viable thing. But if you want to talk about who invented the radio, you got to go back before him. So it's like we said, a really complex topic.
0: Yes, and definitely fascinating to look at at how these great inventors were all developing an important piece of the puzzle, or or improving upon the technology to increase distance and, and quality. Um, it, it's just fascinating. And then you get into other things like uh, who, you know, which was the first radio station, and yeah. that unfortunately is not a clear. Answer either, either, yeah. So,
1: so wait, uh, so Chris,
0: yes. I'm ask you, okay.
1: Gun to the head. Oh no. Yep. There is a there is a man standing up in front of you. His gun is pointed toward your noggin, and he says, "Who invented the radio? You have to give me one name, and that's it. Ultimately, who do you say invented the radio?" Tesla. That's fair. I would say the same thing, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, Uh, put down Marconi because he did so much important work. Yeah. And, and, And one of the things that he did for radio that Tesla really wasn't doing was promoting the idea that it could be used for commercial purposes Yes, and getting investors behind it because Tesla was kind of sitting on it.
1: Yeah. Tesla was kind of like this rock star showman, but Marconi was a rock star
0: businessman. And he was really behind radio. I don't think he... He wasn't into as many different kinds of technology. I mean, Tesla was into all Lots sorts of, of things. Yeah. And, and Marconi was really the radio guy. Yeah. So,
1: so we've got some uh, some sources we'd like to mention to you guys to check out if you're really interested in this. Because like I said, this is a fascinating time in history. In fact, I, let, me, let me read. I, I meant to do this earlier, um, but I wanted to uh, give you what Einstein said radio was. Okay. Uh, Einstein's definition of radio is one of my favorites. You see, Wired Telegraph is a kind of very, very long cat. You pull his tail in New York, and his head is meowing in Los Angeles. Do you understand this? Well, radio operates in the same way. You send signals here, they receive them there. The only difference is that there's no cat. I love that description. (laughs) Like, oh, well, now it makes sense, Einstein. Thank you. Can you tell me about my relatives now? Just in general. Nothing special.
0: Uh, just a theory.
1: So let's talk about some of the sources we use because we we came across some really, really useful ones.
0: Yeah, and it, it, one of the things that I found funny about that, we were talking about how, just a moment ago, about how convoluted this whole thing is. A lot of my sources didn't overlap. <laughs> so we, we sort of glued some of this together from different people because I found a couple books – um, at the library and there might be at yours too uh, one was Syntony and Spark The Origins of Radio by Hugh G. J. Aitken A-I-T-K-E-N and the other was Wireless From Marconius Black Box to the Audion by Sungook Hong uh, both of which were, were excellent and and got into a whole lot more detail that we really, really can't get into now. Yeah. But Jonathan found a couple excellent websites that we used, too, that had uh, – Stubblefield wasn't in either one of those books.
1: Yeah, there's um, there's one that was done by Julian T. Rubin, and actually it's juliantrubin.com. There's a whole section about uh, radio and the inventors. There, there are even other people that we didn't talk about, like Loomis and uh, Bose and – DeForest. DeForest, yeah. There's there's When we say that there were a lot of people working on this – that's not an exaggeration. There were no. way more than we were able to talk about in this episode. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to learn more about them, I recommend that uh, that site. Also, there is an excellent article by B. Eric Rhodes. That's R-H-O-A-D-S. Just Who Invented Radio and Which Was the First Station? Uh, it's, a, it's also a really good read and a great uh, overview of radio. And, finally... There's a, a website called Amateur Radio and Electronics. Uh, the URL is vwlowen.co.uk. So it's a, it's a British site. Uh, also has a great section on radio and how it works and, uh, and its history. So I recommend checking these out if you're interested in the topic. Also, we do have lots of articles on our site about radio. Like how radio works, how the radio spectrum works, how transistor radios work, how crystal radios work—all of that information you can find at howstuffworks.com. And if you're interested in this stuff, definitely take a look at it. There's a, a ton of different ways of actually building your own radio. I mean, that used to be a big thing back in the the 50s and 60s, but you can still do it today. And it's a neat way to kind of learn some electronics and uh, and some engineering and you get a real sense of accomplishment when you build something like that.
0: That's true. I uh, built a crystal AM radio when I was a kid from a from a kit, which was which was a lot of fun. And it's just so sad that all these people worked so hard on the radio, and then in 1981, video killed the radio star.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was darn, <laughs> darn you MTV. And now I understand the problems. You can see. I remember that the second video was a Pat Benatar video. That's uh, on. That's true. Okay. okay, look it up. I just can't remember the name of the song now. But it was a Benatar video. Anyway, little trivia for those people who lived through the launch of MTV. We're there for you. (laughs) If you guys want to let us know about any topics you'd like us to cover or you have any comments or questions, you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Or you can send us an email. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
1: howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The House HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it
0: today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?